0: Welcome to the Rugby League Europe podcast.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight, believe it or not, of the Rugby League Europe podcast. You're listening to Lee Addison and Carlo Napolitano. Carlo, how has your week been?
0: Very good, mate. Uh, very, very busy with work. Uh, I've got a business in the debt solution space here in Australia. So, yeah, every every week's interesting.
1: <laughs> I wonder if you can come up with a solution to this first world problem of mine. I thought my team, and it's a bit of a link to Europe. Um, well, it's very much linked to Europe, the European Champions League, soccer. I thought my team, Manchester City, were playing. I got my friends round to watch them,
2: only <laughs> to wake up early.
1: It's Tomorrow. 4- 4.30 to realise it was Bayern Munich versus Barcelona.
0: Cracking game though. <laughs> I got it up wasn't. and watched it. I got yeah, up yeah. and watched it. Cracking game. <laughs> anyway, By, <laughs> anyway the
1: team. Oh, yeah, and it was almost like a rugby league score 8-2 mm-hmm. or whatever it was and yeah, um, it was. let's go to a real sport. If you want to, contact us on Twitter at the RLE podcast and the T, the R, the L and the E and the P, our capitals on the official address if you need them at the RLE podcast on Instagram and just Put in the search engine, the Rugby League Europe podcast on Facebook, and you will find us. Uh, Can I have your permission to have a few minutes of the airwaves, Carlo? There's something that's been bugging me over the last week.
0: Yeah, go ahead, mate.
1: Mate, you and I have been copying accusations that we are anti-RLEF or biased against the RLEF, the RLIF. Any of the governing bodies of the sport internationally, or in Europe, or around the world, some of them are from say fake social media accounts, but some of them are from real people. So that that feeling is out there. Would you agree?
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But straight away, I'm more than happy that we've got listeners. I think that's the most important part. Well, well, I've I've, I've got a stance,
1: Carlo. I've been a coach for over two decades, right? Yeah. And for the vast chunk of that time, I've either been in charge of or part of as an assistant coach or a player, high performance or elite environments. And when I'm a head coach or when I'm running my business or indeed my life in general, here is how I approach things. If I or we fail at something or lose, I or we like to leave no stone unturned to find the route to success. As a person, I question things and I critically analyze things. I don't just sit there and go, well, that's the way it is. Let's just all move on and pretend everything's good. It's not my way. It's not me as a person. Alternatively, if I or we win or have success in anything, I'm the kind of person that says, well done, enjoy it for a brief time. And then the day after, I work on finding the next success or working out how to win or succeed better. And as a person, I try to seek constant high standards. And you know what, Carlo? It's how personally I'm approaching discussions on this podcast too. Um, For me, rugby league by any measure is not a super popular participation or spectator sport anywhere in the world apart from Australia and Papua New Guinea. No research or source will have rugby league in the top 10 sports in the world for participation or spectators, will it? You know, you, you just can't find it. Right. I was walking through Munich on grand final day last year and not one TV in one poor bar cafe or anything had the NRL grand final. on. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons, one of the big reasons for this, whether people like it or not, is because of poor administration historically. Would you agree with that, Carlo? Yeah. Poor governance. Right. Yeah. And one of the reasons I believe that we've had poor governance and administration is that most administrators operate without being asked tough questions or held to account for their actions. Apart from the media in Australia, your Daily Telegraphs, your Courier Mails, your Sydney Morning Heralds, the, the TV shows, and maybe the trade papers in the UK, your League Express, your League Weekly, the powers that be basically get to give out their messages unchallenged. They get recirculated on social media and news columns, and everyone just gets that, that one-sided message. What we're trying to provide here, Carlo, and I think I speak on behalf of you you too, is trying to unearth what is actually going on out there. Because this is a sport that tends to promote people from within. Coaches get selected, for example, because they played well for years and they told the party line in their club. And quite often, administrators get jobs based on that measure too. Mates look after mates. Mm -hmm. And it comes right from the top of our sport, mate, and infiltrates every level of it, playing, coaching and administration. I would argue if our sport was a team, so if Rugby League was a team in a team sport, performance-wise, it'd be in the bottom half of the fourth division. (laughs) Do do you know what I'm saying? It's not a big sport in the world conscience. And you well,
0: know what? It, Sorry, not, you know it's not Lee because you're right in what you're saying. It's um, we we put faith in our governing bodies and we put faith in our in our leaders in this sport. And over a hundred years, they've done an amazing job. But we've got to a fork in the road where uh, soccer or football has has stepped up a few levels, and we've just not we've not matched them. And um, we've not we, we, we were we were always light years away from them, but we didn't we didn't match them for for their content, their dream, their growth, even their money. And um, unfortunately, you don't need to be a, um, a nuclear scientist to realise, especially in England. When I went back in 2016, I was amazed at all the junior clubs that weren't there anymore, and established rugby league clubs that weren't there anymore. Uh, you know, a shadow of their former self. Yeah. And th- if, that's not a, if that's not a shot in the arm to, to, to tell you where we are as a sport, then, you know, and, and people are, you're right what you said and when you opened, people have to be accountable for that. And too many people aren't, and too many doors are closed. And every time we ask questions, it's, it's oh, we can't, we can't, so we can't come on your show. We're, we're asking people to come on this show and, you know, we just want to be a voice of reason. We're not good. We're not bad. We're, we're, we want to be indifferent. And we want, to, we want people to have a bit of a, a chit-chat and have their own opinions. We're all entitled to them. Mm. The other thing that's happened that you didn't mention there is a other sports that didn't
1: exist 20 years ago or weren't very big that are a lot bigger than us now. Rugby Sevens, the Rugby Sevens circuit, for example, basically overtaken Rugby League on the world stage. Yep. The last time I checked, there was more people played association football, soccer, in Australia than played rugby league in the whole world. I'm sick of false dawns I'm sick of very public ones like, say, the 2025 World Cup potentially being in the USA or the Denver Test or whatever. But I'm also sick of false storms, Carlo, with my own career, my own clubs and nations that have have been, bo- been involved with or those of people I know. I'm sick of watching games on TV with half-empty stadia, when many of them used to be full. I'm sick of so many other games not being on TV or stream live. I'm sick of our game not being in the national conscience of so many nations. I'm sick of floods of volunteers walking away after pledging so much of their lives and their pockets to the sport. Mm -hmm. And because of this, mate, and I hope the people that are complaining are listening, because this is my message. I will gladly ask questions because that's all I've been doing. I've been asking questions, and so have you. Mm -hmm. And I will continue to ask tough questions because I'm more than happy for someone to try and put me back in my box and prove me wrong when I ask those. Phil Kaplan, my long-term close mate, I'm very close to him. I love him dearly as a bloke. He's been the only person associated in any shape or form with the European or global administration of this game to come on this show and answer mine or your questions. Phil is astute enough and broad-minded enough to see and know that debate and relatively tough questions is is a healthy way of going about things. It's not something to be shied away from. So, to everyone who considers that we might be partisan or biased, later in this podcast, in the not-too-distant future, on this show, we will be discussing an RLEF news release, and it's positive. Colin Kleweg, another friend of ours, has also sent us a written sp- response to the legitimate question we asked about a Serbian player playing for two clubs in one day only a few weeks ago. I will read that out, Carlo, word for word. Mm-hmm. You and I have asked two directors and an employee of the Games International Governance to come on this show, and all three have politely declined. Instead of answering our questions, they are leaving them unanswered. So my message to the Games Governance... Please put someone forward and help people get your message. Hiding simply makes speculation or concerns escalate. Mm -hmm. And as our podcast grows, so will that feeling. And trust me, mate, as you know, our podcast is growing around the rugby league world and rapidly. If there's nothing to hide, why not come on the bloody show? Otherwise, our listeners will have to wonder why questions remain unanswered, and then they can make their own minds
0: up. Well... When when you don't answer questions, the the table is lopsided because you've got someone who's asking a lot of questions uh, and someone who's not answering any. So the, you know it does stack up. Uh, but I'm not I'm not complaining about that. I think with our knowledge and who we know in the game, both you and I, in regards to smaller nations, what they'll say uh, to the governing body will be different than what they say to us. But what they're saying to us is the truth you know the the support you know no growth or development type plans in place for when they set up you know no funding available these these are the common questions or the common barriers that are stopping from our our game from from growing and if you don't get that if you're listening you don't understand that that we we're we're not just supporters we're you know again i've said it before we are subject matter experts because we've done all the roles in international and we've done all the roles at club football we we understand it we, we do understand it but the listeners sometimes I, I think not all of them get the the position that we're in um and i think it, it's a shame because you know our game deserves to be on the largest scale competing football competing against soccer for for that uh for, for that spectator and we're just nowhere near that at the moment no. and i think that's alarming and, and we here, used to be we here, used to be yeah we did we did, and we're not asking we're not asking we're not asking for a lot, and again, it might sound like we we're bashing the governing bodies, but I just don't think anyone's asked the right questions or asked questions uh, to the fact that we're that we're doing and and I think we we need and i think we the people need answers you know the people involved in the sport they need answers absolutely it's it's just sad it's just sad yeah.
1: and I'm now going to do Carlo what I have no doubt that the fake people on social media who hide behind a fake Twitter name want me to do and you to do. I am now going to just come up with a positive few statements about what's going on in, in rugby league in Europe. Because on the 10th of August, mate, the RLAF announced that there was a series of things happening in Europe. In a moment, we're going to get straight from the horse's mouth. We're going to speak to Malta coach Aaron McDonald. Carlo, you're going to interview him. Yep. Um, and don't be put off by Aaron's... Aussie accent, he's very passionate about the Malta thing and done a great job. But what the RLAF released on the 10th of August, in Czechia, League One will start on the 29th of August with four teams, competing in a full home and away format, which should end by the 8th of November. And they've got a second league, League Two, which will start on the 22nd of August with three clubs. And they also talk about a strategy to grow plan for the next 10 years. Geez, that's that's music to the ears, isn't it? Yeah,
0: right? yeah definitely. That's all we're asking for, isn't it? We, yeah. We, how are we going to grow? Where we want to be and how we're going to get there. I don't think they're, they're they're the common questions.
1: In Russia, the Moscow Cup should begin with midweek matches very soon between four clubs, and the Cup of Russia held in November December 2020, involving 20 clubs covering five regions with a double set double header semi final January March 2021, and then they hope that the Russian Super League will commence with eight teams. And two nines tournaments in July and August 2021. I tell you what, if they're playing rugby league in Russia, November to March,
0: I'm going to say it's cold. I hope they
1: brought it? the winter woolies.
0: Isn't it cold? Isn't that? <laughs> oh, it's freezing. Guy? Yeah,
1: I've done it. Um, I've not played rugby league there at that time, but I've been there. Um, Belgian rugby league is also formulating a new development plan for the next three years. Music to the ears again. Yep. With the aim of becoming an affiliate member of the RLAF, and as part of it. A new club has been formed in Brussels, the Bulls. Um, and whilst there's no domestic activities currently planned in Albania, their leading club side, Tirana, is scheduled to participate in the Greek League next season, which is good. Mm. Um, Rugby League Island is running a shortened domestic se- t- season for six clubs throughout August in two groups. The clubs that will be playing are Barrow Cuders. I thought Barrow was in England, personally. Galway Tribesmen. Cork Bulls and in Group B the Longhorns, Dublin Exiles and Athboy and Germany have just recently announced along with Holland that they're playing a test match or an international anyway whether it's a test match or not we have to dig a bit deeper but we've just put that on our social media this week. Holland will be playing Germany in an international match in the middle of September but Germany are also planning a coaching course and national training weekend for when things return the French, the French Elite League is scheduled to restart at the end of October. Um, in the Ukraine, the rugby league authorities are awaiting confirmation from the government as, government as to a resumption, but they're keen to hold a beach tournament on the 22nd of August as a forerunner to the Cup starting the following week, along with under 16 and under 19 competitions, and hopefully in under 12 and under 14 age groups, competitions are set to begin sometime in. In September. So, look, I say, well done to all those people, all who have been fighting hard, probably mm-hmm. as volunteers in 99.9% of the cases, and also fighting against this coronavirus. And Carlo, now I'm going to invite you to bring in Aaron McDonald, the Malta coach.
0: And it's great to announce that we have the current Maltese Rugby League coach, Aaron McDonald, on the line. How are you doing, Aaron?
2: Yeah, good. Carlo, yourself?
0: Yeah, brilliant, mate. Brilliant. I believe we're in the the same part of uh, of, of Sydney or New South Wales, pal.
2: Yeah, yeah. In Wollongong, mate. Enjoying uh, the sunshine today.
0: The beautiful gong uh, and all the, and all the rain that it's bringing us. Uh, but yeah, mate. Uh, great to have you on, and thank you for your time. I really appreciate it.
2: No worries at all. Pleasure to be here.
0: Excellent, excellent. So basically, what we want to do, and give you an idea of what we talk about on the Rugby League Europe podcast, it's just about all the nations. Uh, and their development from domestic and uh, going into international. So b- before we get started into that, can you just give us a bit of a background about your playing career going into your coaching career and and how you got involved with the Maltese Rugby League?
2: Yeah, I suppose um, I, I, I'd like to think of myself as a, a much better coach than I was a rugby league player. Uh, I played um, yeah through, uh, I suppose, teenage years and, and um, most of my playing career at either Wentworthville or Dilford. Um, and finished off uh, playing at Wenty uh, and got straight into coaching there. I was lucky enough to uh, to get some uh, coaching jobs with um, Wenty Junior Rugby League, uh, and and from there they formed at Eels in New South Wales Cup. And I was, uh, as I said once again, lucky enough to be appointed the assistant coach of that. So I spent a couple of years in the Wentworthville Parramatta system uh, before heading over to the Sydney Roosters and linking up with Brian Smith. Uh, in, uh, and then doing some junior development work over there uh, with their Harold Matz side. I, uh, I headed back towards Parramatta a few years later and, and did some Harold Matz and estu ball there once again mm-hmm. uh, before moving down to to Wollongong and, uh, and that kind of finished my my junior representative uh, coaching career just due to the fact of uh, travel was a bit too much for the for me and the family. So um, yeah. so I coached locally down here for a couple of years um, and then uh, with Malta Robbie League was just um, just came very much out of the blue um i was um on a a facebook post and uh and and someone from from Bill lead reached out to me who knew me through my uh, Parramatta days uh and asked if i'd be interested in helping out um so i i uh, jumped on board as an assistant coach as first um for for a couple of test matches i think it was back in 2017 i think somewhere around there and then um and then yeah, moving on the year after I um I took on the head coach's role. We kinda of did a bit of a, a role reversal and uh and yeah, and had um we've had some success over the last couple of years. So it's been been really good to be involved in in that community. I um I grew up in Greystones, which is a very big Maltese community. Uh, so it was nice to I suppose give back to uh, some of the people that I grew up with. Um and and the culture well it was it was good to uh to be a part of that system and, and really um, help Maltese really grow.
0: Yeah. And I don't think, yeah, well, a few of the listeners will be aware, but my mother is actually Maltese Aaron. She's a gozo girl. And, you know, and I'm very, I've got a massive soft spot for, for the Maltese Rugby League and, and the Maltese community, even though I, I concentrated more on my Italian side and represented Italy as a player and as a coach. Mm-hmm. But I've always seen there is huge potential in Maltese Rugby League and it's, and it's great to have someone like yourself who understands the, uh, the art of development. And, and I think, it, I, th- I think you know, it's on, it's on the steady rise to, to where it needs to be in the Maltese Rugby League. And I think Jared Samet's been great for, for the Maltese uh, crew and team and on and off field uh, uh, projection to, to to give people an opportunity or, or a character to balance. I just want to talk a bit about the domestic programme being a, such a small nation or a small, I shouldn't say a small nation, small country with around about 500k of residents uh, who live on, on in Malta. You know how how is it how do you develop that in uh, it, domestically in Malta
2: um, shy away from the fact that it's a challenge for us um, you know it's um yeah to compete competing over there with the rugby union side as well uh, is, is a bit of a challenge and, and just yeah you know, arranging simple things like fields uh, to play on um, yeah quite difficult um, we've got some obviously some people on the ground over there and um you know who are doing a lot of great work over there to try and develop it um, domestically. You mm-hmm. know, um, and I suppose, in where it is located, too, we have um, you know quite a few players who leave and head over towards the UK and, and play in competitions over there as well. So um, the island itself, um, you know, we had a few things planned for this year, and fortunately, you know, like everyone, um, you know, COVID's got in the way. Um, you know, but we had um, some touring teams coming over from the UK to play some games to help us out. Uh, which would have been good for the local boys to, I suppose, get some games against some some real good competition. Um, yeah. And then you know we, we also had our you know, we have like a, a state of origin type series where we have a, a locals versus expats, here, uh, which has had to been pushed back um, once again uh, to the COVID. Um, and there there has been talk over the last couple of years that we haven't been lucky enough to have it eventuate yet, but um but entering into the the Italian domestic competition. Uh there's been been contact with the Italians um you know over a number of years and uh and they've reached out again recently to to say whether we'd be interested in entering their domestic comp, which we certainly are. And we'd love to um to get over there and get some regular competition uh and have our our boys, you know, on the local scene playing a lot more. Um as I said, you know, it's 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 been muted a few times. So hopefully um Hopefully, it actually does come through this time, and they're looking to start an air comp in November this year. So hopefully, we can be a part of that, and uh, and really try and um, you know, just our local boys playing. That's that's the hardest part for us is having them play regular football, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's it's nice to be able to have the uh, international players and you know players um the expats you know involved, um, but we really need to grow the game uh, on the island. Uh, Continue to, I suppose progress as we want to progress uh, in the in the international scene
0: just domestically though how do you how do you get funding are you funded by um through the olympic committee are you funded uh, privately how, how do you get your funding to to get those people on the ground uh domestically also
2: yeah mostly uh, private funding um so um, we've been going through um i suppose a process for Many more years than I've been involved um, to try and get uh, things, uh, I suppose, accredited over there and, and to try and work out how we can um, to be a part of that. And there's been plenty of talk between uh, ourselves and, um, I suppose, the, the, the Olympic Committee and trying to, to work out how we can uh, meet the regulations that we need to meet um you know so there's obviously people working in australia as well as people in malta to make that happen um mm. and the, it's an ongoing process i'd love to say we've got it all sorted and things are looking great but it's an ongoing process and as i said people over here are working really hard and, uh, and i know there are people in on the ground in malta doing doing the same kind of work um but it's a, it's a process that um yeah seems to be going for a long time i know the um, you know, Consul General over here is, is on our side as well. And he's working with the Prime Minister to try and get things happening uh, on the ground in Malta. But it's just been a, a bit of a lengthy process at this point in time. I
0: think, Aaron, I can I can speak out of experience as well. Uh, you know, it's, it's exactly the same issues that we're, we were having in the Italian Rugby League. And we just don't go away. And I think until Rugby League is recognised by the Sport Accord or the ISF, I think we're always going to have that problem. Because at the moment, it's not really... And there's no litigious, uh, sorry. And there's no legitimacy in and around rugby league at the moment to that's recognised. recognise. So it's it's an uphill battle, but we're always fighting it. And and with people like yourself and Consular General, you know, they're they're the right people to get involved. Now moving swiftly on to the international program, because I think it's uh, you know you've had like you alluded to, you've had some cracking years. Um, you know, winning the Emerging Nations in 2018, uh, beating Italy, always close rivals. Over here in in Australia, and um, I think uh, the international program in your eyes, what what's what's the process? What's where do you want to get to? Obviously, reaching a World Cup is, is that is that the, the 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 kind of the end process?
2: Yeah, I, I think so. Look, you know, as as a coach, I suppose um, you know, my end goal is always to uh, to get Malta into a World Cup. That would be the ultimate for me, and I think um, you know, certainly a, a real kit for for rugby league uh, in Malta. Um, as well as you know, I suppose for the international game to make it you know truly, uh, truly international, you know I think um, everyone loves an underdog story, and seeing some of those smaller nations uh, come through would be would be the ultimate, uh, and that's certainly you know, our goal. Um, you know we're we're trying and a really good schedule uh, planned for this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, once again that you know got dot dot kicked a little bit, but you know, we were we were heading over to Scotland to play Scotland this year with um you yeah, know some of our domestic and international players um, together. Uh, mm-hmm. we you know we had a tour last year against into Scotland Bravehearts with you know domestic players mainly we, we flew two of our players over from Australia and um and also Jared Demet joined joined them and they, they played the Bravehearts last year. So we certainly had plans to do a lot more like that this year leading into that World Cup next year. Um, yeah, a few of the other teams were, were keen to get some international games in. So we, you know, we certainly were looking at um, playing Lebanon uh, in Australia as well. Um, and unfortunately, uh, with the way that the year has turned out, it's um, yeah, put a I suppose a blanket through that one, and it hasn't been yeah. able to happen. Um, but you know, we're certainly in talks, um, you know, actually with Italy at the moment as well to try and get a a game in Australia towards the end of the year. We had a, a great game and a great day out there last year yeah. with the Italians. And, um, and certainly if we can do more things like that, it's, it's great for, I think, both nations. Um, but we certainly need to be getting our domestic players uh, a lot more football uh, just yeah. to expose them to the international level. And, you know, it would be ideal. I think we'd all love it if we could, you know, send whatever 17 players we wanted to to play a game of football if they had uh, Maltese heritage or, or were part of that... um. You know Maltese makeup, but unfortunately, yeah. you know with the rules as they are, we need to play mainly domestic players, and to do that, we need to get them upskilled to uh, to match the level of the Definitely. players in the other test nations. Yeah, no,
0: yeah, I hear you there, and it's the same same problem everywhere. I think uh, getting regular games currently is, is always a difficult thing. Now, the uh, I do want to touch a bit about your Australian community, huge. Australian community for the Maltese as well as for the Italians. You know, in 2009, I don't know if you're aware of this, Aaron, but myself and Mick Rosano put together a a competition which which was called the Osmed Shield. And and it was one that we wanted to do biannually, so every second year, but it kind of fell away after the first one. Do you think a competition like that biannually, where you had four or six nations which are European but represented here in Australia with a potential quota of domestic players... Could be a competition that could move forward.
2: Oh, definitely. I think anything we could do to um look, you know, like I having coached the um you know, the boys for the last couple of years, their pride in their country, uh, you know, and their pride in Malta, you know, is exactly the same as anyone who's grown up on the island, you know. So to um yeah. and you know, in saying that there are there are people we have out here playing for us now that actually grew up on the island that have moved out to Australia. So to have the you know, like, you know, at times I suppose they're, they're um validity in in representing Malta is questioned. Um, You know, and that that really bothers me because these boys put as much in as anything. And, you know, I suppose, you know, by circumstance they've grown up in Australia, whoever they are, Maltese, and and they want to resent their country. Um, So I think um, if we can you know, get get something that allows them to, to represent their country more often, as well as, you know, to bring players out from Malta. You know, that, that's always our our dream and our goal is to get some players out from Malta who can join in and, and help to develop um, them while they're out here mm-hmm. and then to have them go back and grow the game domestically with their experiences from here. Uh, you know, certainly what we're, what we're aiming at and always, you know, at the back of our mind is how can we, how can we mirror our success in Australia with our players uh, and and have a similar program domestically, so that one day when we we are reaching for that World Cup goal, that we have a uh, a really good mix of players from you know from both uh, the island and and our expats that you know are yeah, playing over definitely. in the UK in Australia.
0: Yeah, I think I think getting that balance is really important because you've got social inclusion and community inclusion, and then representative elite level. It's always a different or a hard balance to get those kids from the island or domestically playing in your country up to that level where it is elitism and without having that stepping stone about bringing them over to a place like Australia where rugby league is very strong and actually integrating them with the elitism to understand where, where their level is. I think I think we need a competition like that. And I'll tell you, the Osmed Shield was brilliant. It was a great idea. It was well-received. Well uh, Greece won the first one and then it kind of just died a death. And I wish, uh, you know, the barriers, uh, the barriers we can talk about because we, we know them, you know, the fact of the matter is it's a European competition held in, in Australia. Who funds it? That's yeah, who funds the, that's it? The, um, that's the biggest problem. But for the yeah. sake of it, for what it's what for what for it brings, someone just needs to come forward and say, listen, we'll co-fund it and you, you'll have to get private funding for the rest. But just do something.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, like, you know, like, certainly we, we look it out. I suppose, our calendar each year. And um, and I must say, like David at CESA, who, who run, runs the, the, the um, organisation in Australia, has done amazing work, you know, for many, many more years than I've been involved in, in trying to get things happening. And um, look, you know, he's always keen to, to make things happen and to try and push our uh, rugby league in Malta, you know, not only yeah. on the island, but also here. And um, and we're certainly, you know, big backers of, of any idea and anything that will, will grow the game, essentially, uh, as rugby league fans, you know, um, we want to we want to grow the game as much as we can, and um, you know, to to grow the game in Australia to, and to help those people from those other uh, European nations develop. Which is, you know, at the end of the day, we want we want to see. Like, I'd love nothing more than to to be out there and, and see, um, you, know, a, you know, a majority of, of Maltese based players, you know, playing in a in an international competition and holding their own would make me very very proud as a as a coach yeah. and as someone who you know wants to develop. Uh, players at an elite level, um, you know that that would be fantastic. But there's a lot of work to make that happen, and yeah, we need to be aware that, um, you know, to to get the I suppose the European countries to uh to sometimes think uh, the same way and, and think that it's okay to to have a really strong base in Australia of, of players who are willing to represent their country, um, and then to mix that in with the developing players, you know, from those nations is a is a ch- most people who are involved in uh, in those nations want to want to take on i know certainly the australian based people over here and i look at you know greek i look at italy i look at poland i look at turkey some of the people who have been working really hard in those countries over the last couple of years and we want to do things uh over there to help the game and i think if we can do something then i think most people would be willing to support it as well as the people over here who want to see their nation playing footy you know like we look at the crowds that come out to our games.
0: Oh, it's massive, yeah. mate, and that's why that's what kills me. We're actually. We're actually stopping um, the the rugby league community and supporters who love it so much over here and in England. man yeah. you know, there's yep. a big, large community in England as well for Italians and, and Maltese. We mm. should be spreading those games into there and saying, "Listen, you know, we are a nation. We are here. It's, it's about self uh, self branding, promotion, and we need to we need to promote ourselves. But we need the funding to do it. It's always the it's always a question about talking about money, which I hate.
2: Yeah, talking yeah. money. It's, it's one don't, that we we can't to, do one it. we need to address, you know. And I looked at, um, you know, like we were, you, know, look, you look at the emerging Nation competition a couple of years ago, and and the the personal cost that went into that for a lot of players and staff, uh, and mm. you know, those organising it. And you know, it was it was a great competition with people from you know all over the world, and, you know, there and, and, and loving rugby league and participating. Um, and you know, I think it was a great success, you know, for for the game. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, certainly we, we need a lot more support, um, you know, from, from those organizations that make the money, I suppose, you know, like from my point yeah. of view, um, well, there's, you know, some, some really big organizations in rugby league, you know, throughout the world that, that, that do make a lot of money, um, you know, and I think, you know, to, to support some of those smaller nations would be a great thing, um, yeah, no,
0: so I, I agree, mate. I, I you, listen. You, you've got my backing, Aaron. But unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. <laughs> no, uh, We could, we, we could, we, we, we. We'll probably have you on, mate, and, and talk about this further. And, and personally, I, I thank you. And you know, I again being a proud Italian, but also uh, having a massive Maltese heritage. You know, I thank you for all the work that you're doing for. Uh, for, for the nation of Malta and, and the game of Rugby League. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on board and uh, having a chat with me. And um, I look forward to, to seeing how Malta progress in the next couple of years.
2: No, I was privileged to be on, and uh, as I said, a privilege to be involved in Malta Rugby League as well. So, so thank you. Thank you. Aaron. Take care. Bye bye.
1: As always, Carlo, with you, great interview with Aaron. He's a good bloke. Um, did a great yeah. job. He won the Emerging Nations Cup with Malta. I won the trophy with Poland. We both had a great time with long-term mates and i just think malta's a country of the future if they can get all the ducks in a row
0: yeah like we we talked about in the interview you know they've got a massive expat community purely because of the size of the country Mm. um only about five hundred thousand actually live on the island of malta but their reach in other nations um or in other countries i.e Australia, England is is very large. Again, as I explained, my mother, uh, my mother is a uh, is Maltese uh, from Gozo, um, a Greek uh, back in the day. So I have got a soft spot for for Malta, and I think uh, you know we've always a uh, Italy and Malta have always had a really close relationship. So listen, I I, I wish them all the best. And Aaron's a, a cracking bloke, and uh, we'll, we'll 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 follow their journey with with a lot of pride.
1: Absolutely. At the start of the podcast, mate, we spoke about the whole. We put it out there, we ask questions, we're analytically critical, if you like, but we expect or would like answers. One such person who's done that is Colin Kloeg, who's a contributor to Ser- Serbian Rugby League. Um, a few weeks ago, we inadvertently discovered that Mark Pullen had played for two clubs in the, day, in the same day, yeah. and we challenged that, but we did it like we challenge everything. And Colin obviously understands that it's a legitimate question and he's given us a written response. So if you'll allow me, Carlo, and then we'll ask your opinion after this, I'll read out his response word for word. Colin says, I had no knowledge of this situation until I was advised afterwards. Personally, I don't think this should have been allowed to happen. It's one of those situations where somebody thought they were doing the right thing, but it's not the right thing. I understand that Radniki Nice. I hope I uh, uh, pronounced that right, brought 12 or 13 players, so could have fielded a team under the rules, and it should have been left at that. Nice is about 400 kilometres south of Belgrade, so you have some context. Travel this year has been difficult for everyone, and this match occurred when there was a higher spread of COVID-19 in the community. A large number of players in Serbia live in larger family households with grandparents. These risks have meant almost all of the clubs are experiencing slightly lower player numbers than in previous years due to the uncertainty. For Radniki, it meant they travelled that day, honoured the game and played with no reserves. For clubs like Red Star and Partizan, it means we are working with squads of 20 to 25 senior players, not 30. That is something we have to work through like every other nation. In Serbia, players can be loaned, but there is a formal process for this where the documentation needs to be filled out with the Serbian RFL before the match and before a certain cut-off point in the season, usually just before the summer break. Serbia has had between six and eight teams in the SRLF in the last 3.5 years. At its peak a few years ago, we got to around 10 teams playing senior rugby league. We were in excellent talks to reinvigorate some of those teams last year, but COVID-19 happened. I add this information for context, given your reference below to certain nations trying to get enough players for four teams. Serbia has more clubs than the required minimum at present, so maintaining recognition is not a reason why this occurred. I will discuss this again with the GM of the Serbian RFL and ask him and the Serbian board to consider that we have processes in place where this can't happen again. It's not a precedent that should be set, and in a, in a way, it's a pity to have. In a way, it's a pity to have to discuss it, given the excellent work the Serbian people are doing to grow the game of rugby league. But it is also a good reminder in life that everything can't be viewed positively. We as people have to learn to accept criticism and to constantly learn from every bit of criticism and improve. The current board in Serbia is a five-person board with separate match commissioner and separate GM. It's a credit to the Serbian Rugby League Federation that they have so many good Serbian men and women involved in the game domestically and have such a wide structure with people of various levels of experience. This makes me very confident the board and the staff will put processes in place to ensure this doesn't happen again. For clarity... I am not on the board of the SRLF. That was Colin Cloweig. Mate, what a great response! What great hotel. Yeah, what great context! And I also want to say that this podcast has brought that issue to light, and we've had a response, and it should hopefully clarify some issues.
0: Well, it's probably again a question that everyone's thinking because it goes on more than, more times than you think. What is the what is the the correct what is the correct protocol? And again, we're not we're just that we want to just ask the questions I think from a development point of view of course the idea is to get you know sides on the field and stuff like that and we're not saying that it was done on toward I think it was done from, from a very kind place um by the player uh, Matt Pullen and, and I think he the idea was to you know just to basically fulfill a, a fixture and Fair play to him, but the, the fact is we've just got to be careful from a governance point of view, but I think that was a great response by Colin and again you know this is if we can unearth those type of responses then we're doing our job because we we want we just want people to have clear clarity about how the games ran and that's all we're asking for and I thought that was a brilliant response brilliant
1: response in writing i've read it out everyone's happy they've acknowledged that it wasn't great I think we may have um, set a precedent there for anybody else who wants to contribute to this show and contribute to the other side of the argument. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Serbian Rugby League. If you want to get in touch with us, unless you contact me and Carlo directly, because you know us, get us at the RLE podcast on Twitter, the RLE podcast on Instagram and the Rugby League Europe podcast on Facebook. Um, Great interview, Carlo. That was the positive side. And plus all the happy goings on in Europe but for everyone who says we're one-sided what a load of rubbish I've been I've been the fired up one today mate can you cheer everyone <laughs> up before we leave
0: ciao ragazzi vediamo you so
1: everyone we love the game really. see ya